London's West End theatres often send out emails to people who've attended their productions in the past to encourage them to book tickets. And it was the job of an acquaintance of mine who worked as a marketing executive for the theatre company to send out these emails. Over time, she learned something that defied conventional economic rules. It seemed that if you send out an email promoting a play or musical, you would sell fewer tickets if you highlighted the fact that the tickets were being offered at a reduced price. Conversely, offering tickets at the full price or not mentioning a discount seemed to increase demand. According to economic theory, this of course makes no sense at all, but in the real world it's perfectly plausible. After all, any theatre selling tickets at a discount clearly has plenty to spare, and from this it might be reasonable to infer that the entertainment on offer isn't all that good. Hello and welcome to the sixth and final episode of Series 2 of Silence Please. In this series, we've been using topics from Rory Sutherland's book Alchemy to explore the relationship between creativity and behavioural science in advertising. I'm Ollie Henderson from Silence Media. We have a book club here at Silence that meets up every now and then to discuss books about advertising. Our next book is Alchemy, The Surprising Power of Ideas That Don't Make Sense by Rory Sutherland. If you'd like to join us at book club, I'll give you the details at the end of the podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing behavioural biases, the shortcuts we rely on to make decisions more quickly, and how advertisers can use them to their advantage. My guest today is my colleague at Silence Media, Verity Buett. Verity, thanks for joining me. No problem. Verity, could you explain what exactly is meant by behavioural biases and how these relate to advertising? Of course. So a behavioural bias is a shortcut in the decision-making process. So as humans, we're lazy. We don't weigh up decisions evenly. We take these underlying psychological shortcuts. And the way that relates to advertising is as advertisers, where we're trying to sell a product at the end of the day, a product or a service. Um, so to sell that to people, we really need to understand people and what makes them tick. That's why we can use behavioral science to help help us with that a little bit. Let me give you an example, a really easy one to start with. Um, so Booking.com, they regularly use this behavioral bias called scarcity. Scarcity is the idea that if something is in short supply, the allure of it increases, we want it more. So when you're looking for your hotel for your next break, you're browsing them and you see that one, one hotel says one room left. Immediately, it's in short supply, so it creates a sense of urgency. You're more inclined to book it sooner rather than later. And then if we look at a slightly more complex example, we'll look at KFC. So when they ran out of chicken for an entire weekend, which could have turned into a massive crisis for them, they used a behavioural bias called the Prattful effect to overcome this. So the Prattful effect states that people or brands become more likeable when they acknowledge their flaws. So when they ran out of chicken... Um, what KFC did is they simply tweaked their logo, KFC, to read FCK and then apologised below it. They FCK'd it and it immediately makes them more likeable. So with that in mind, how might you use an understanding of behavioural biases to elicit a positive response from people as part of an advertising campaign? So, of course... You can never completely predict human behavior. We're very emotional beings and we're not quite sure what we'll do next. But by using behavioral science, behavioral biases in your creative strategy, for example, it means you can kind of predict the different options or increase the likelihood of them engaging with a campaign or feeling a certain way towards your ad unit or giving you that response. 
Okay. And with this influence over people's behavior, are there any ethical question marks about using techniques like this? I think there's there shouldn't be a question mark over using behavioral science if you are comfortable in the product. So if you think the product is ethical, then it should be okay to influence people's behavior um, for that product. Verity, I've talked to all of our guests about the value uh, of incorporating behavioral science into the creative process. I was wondering um, what your view on this is and you know what positive effects it can have, you know, for example, coming up with creative ideas. Mm, so I think, yeah, initially, behavioral science, it facilitates more creative ideas. Um, if you're limiting yourself to data sets, uh, Everybody has access to these, right? We can measure a campaign. We can see that, you know, if it has video in it, people are more likely to interact with it for longer. However, behavioral science adds another level to it. It allows you to be more creative. So one of our clients, um, United Airlines, for the campaign for them, they had video of an interview of people testing their knowledge on America. But we brought behavioral science into it by editing this video to make it into a little bit of a quiz to encourage them to test their knowledge, to invite them to engage and compare how much they know to the people in the video. So we didn't just use that video and put it in there like we might have done if we'd gone off data. We used behavioral science to give another element to the campaign. And how do you test whether that's a success? I think for this one, it's... It depends on the format you're running, right? This was an engagement campaign. So by running different variations of the banners, one, you know, using their standard imagery and branding and another linking into the behavioral bias by actually inviting people to test their knowledge. Um, you can measure the success of the engagement rate, which one was higher. And we're not saying success as in if the behavioral creative wins that's a success. It's just the fact you have these different variations of the creative to try and predict different outcomes. That means whether the behavioral one gives you the best results or not, you've tried different things. Yeah. So that's the idea that you're looking in different places, both in terms of what creative ideas you might come up with, but also trying to understand how uh, customers respond to different types of content. Exactly. It links it together. But I think on, in this conversation, it's very important to remember, yes, it helps with the creative strategy, but that creative strategy should always be merged with the media buying and the targeting strategy as well. It's not just just a branding campaign or the pure creative. It should always be linked, particularly in digital, with the media buying and the targeting and measuring the performance of creative against different strategies. And how do clients respond to this sort of approach in your experience? I think initially there's slight pushback because they think that we're changing the whole assets for the campaign. But when I say we're looking to test behavioral bias, we're not looking to change all the branding and everything, they've, the assets they've given over us for the campaign. We're looking to change things as tiny as the copy or the way we phrase something um, just to help increase the performance of our campaign. And then at the very least, that increases the performance of our campaign, but it might even lead to, to more insight and knowledge and influence the wider marketing strategy as well. So does behavioral science help explain to clients why you're taking that approach to the campaign? It's certainly a lot easier if you go into a client with a creative idea and you have a theoretical ground into it, like from behavioral science. And it also, it helps, it, 
it helps raise the status of digital because of the theoretical grounding too. I'm interested to hear your opinion about why you think behavioural science is having somewhat of a resurgence um, mm. amongst marketers and, and advertisers at the moment. I think, well, I'm, I'm sure we can all agree there's uncertain times ahead for certain parts of advertising, but I think it's off the back of this backlash towards data and retargeting and lumping people into data segments and... Um, you know, reaching people of a certain age, oh, let's layer a data segment on for it. Um, or reaching people that are interested in travel, let's layer a data segment on for it. I think behavioral science offers people a way to engage audiences online, but not by tracking them or being intrusive or invading, um, using their personal data to, you know, advertise advantage. It's It brings it back to basics, really. It brings it back to that human nature and understanding humans. And then if they want to engage, it's it, it's down to them, but it's not tracking them or anything intrusive like that. Yeah, I think it's interesting that there's been a theme throughout these podcasts, which is that people have perhaps moved too far away from the core of advertising, which is about connecting with people on an emotional level mm. we got caught up in an advertiser's dream right because we could track them because we could drop a cookie because we could follow them around the web we did but it doesn't mean we should Verity to finish I thought it would be interesting for people listening if you could give us your view on how to approach planning um, in a way which incorporates behavioural biases sure so, so to start with obviously you need to do research about around the behavioral bias that's most applicable to you. And then you come up with a hypothesis. What are you trying to test? What do you think will happen? But then it's important to remember where your audience are, who you're targeting and link that creative strategy in with your media buying strategy and your targeting strategy. And then if you can as well, run it on a performance-based media buying metric. Um, so something like cost per engagement, for example. To give you an example of how that worked for one of our clients, we recently ran a campaign for Puffin, which is Penguin's children's books. And our hypothesis for that campaign looked to test a behavioral bias called social proof. And social proof is the idea that if everybody else is doing something, you're more inclined to as well. So its popularity increases its appeal. Um, so our hypothesis was that people are more likely to engage with a banner that states how many other people have already bought that product than when they haven't. So we ran two versions of the banners for Puffin. There was the behavioral banner that said join the X amount of families that, that have already read Puffin books over the summer. And then there was the control banner. So the banner just using their standard messaging. And what we actually found from that campaign is that the behavioral banner achieved a click rate that was 36% higher than the standard creative. And this brings us to the end of the episode and the end of the series. Thank you very much to my wonderful guest, Verity Bouette from Silence Media. A huge thank you to Penguin Random House for providing us with extracts from the Alchemy audiobook. Our music is by Super Thriller. If you'd like to join us to discuss alchemy, we're meeting on the afternoon of Thursday the 3rd of October at the Pembury Tavern in Hackney. Visit the Silence Media website for more details. And don't forget the first rule of book club, you don't have to read the book. I'm Ollie Henderson, one of the owners of Silence Media. This series was produced by Silence Media's Joe O'Dell. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.